cannabis smells really good. Most of us buy cannabis based on its smell. We unscrew the mason jar, stick our nose in there, and take a mighty whiff. Your body tells you if you want that strain or not. During episode 11, we spent a lot of time talking about cannabis terpenes with world-famous neurologist and cannabis researcher, Dr. Ethan Russo. He explained how THC, CBD, and the other cannabinoids work in cooperation with terpenes in the plant in what's called the entourage effect. The terpenes are the plant's aromatics. They are why cannabis smells so good, whether it's pine or chocolate, citrus or skunk, or any of the other aromas of cannabis. One of the essential aspects of healing with cannabis simply is its smell. If you enjoy hearing frank discussions that dive deep into cannabis health, business, and technique, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. Every week, you'll receive a new podcast episode delivered right to your inbox, along with commentary on a couple of the most important news items from the week. Social media sites are becoming very unreliable in showing folks every post they want to see, so sign up for the Shaping Fire newsletter to make sure you don't miss an episode. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Los. My guest today is Ben Cassidy, co-founder of True Terpenes. We're going to talk with Ben about cannabis aromatics and aromatherapy, how terpenes are isolated for sale, and how you can use terpenes even without cannabis for everyday healing and quality of life. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a real honor. So, you know, let's get right to it and talk about where terpenes come from. I mean, we know where they come from in nature, but how are isolated terpenes extracted or manufactured? One of my favorite things about that question, and I think it's probably, you know, once somebody gets over the idea or starts to understand what is a terpene, then they're immediately like, well, how do you get them? So it's, it's one of the ones that I get asked the most. And uh, what I like to initially say to people is, You've, you're actually probably a lot more familiar with isolated terpenes than you think, you know. And so let's just start with saying that terpenes are uh, separated from plant material typically through two different uh, methods. One of them is vacuum distillation and one of them is steam distillation. Uh, and sometimes uh, you can use steam distillation in a vacuum distillation setup. But just to kind of give a rough uh, preliminary uh, description of vacuum distillation. It's, it's where we're removing the atmosphere. We, a lot of people are starting to see these uh, fancy glassware setups uh, for short path distillation and, and other kind of uh, high level extractions within the cannabis industry. Uh, just know that the actual uh, purpose for these, these distillation setups has been uh, kind of more tailored towards the essential oil industries for a long time. And so we're using the same technology that's been around for a while uh, to isolate terpenes with vacuum, which means, like I said, we remove the atmosphere. When you remove the atmosphere, uh, you're basically making it easier for things to boil off. They don't have to fight the, the vapor pressure for them to become uh, active in our in our in an environment. So vacuum distillation is great because it allows you to use a very little amount of energy uh, and a little amount of heat, which means the molecule doesn't get distorted or destroyed. Um, steam distillation is a little bit more widely used, but it uh, it allows some of the molecules, some of the terpenes, to kind of change in state. They're not necessarily just like they were in the plant. So there's kind of positives. Um, you know, steam distillation allows for larger batch sizes and a little bit less sophistication when it comes to equipment. Uh, vacuum distillation allows for very, very precise 
and uh, gentle extraction practices. So, um, yeah, really it's, it's, it's a process of taking raw plant material, uh, turning it into an essential oil, and then taking that essential oil and slowly boiling all of the individual components out of it. So uh, one, one thing I'm not hearing any of that is any chemicals. So, so it sounds like the, the two processes you've described so far are actually pretty clean. That, that is correct. Um, you know, there's, there's different industrial applications or uh, kind of distillation procedures that somebody might take plant material and they might use a solvent uh, under vacuum distillation or steam distillation. But in, in this case, when we're working with um, food grade and, and sometimes above that grade uh, chemicals that people are going to be ingesting or using in fragrances and in other kind of related fields, uh, it's always been a really important thing uh, in our line of work personally with our company to make sure that there hasn't been any solvents used in the process. Right on. So, so if that's a good example, I want to talk briefly about uh, the bad example. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had Dr. Ethan Russo on the show talking about terpenes and cannabinoids in general, and uh, he surprised me. He said that some terpenes are derived um, by you know uh, they're coming from uh, petroleum. Um, uh, refinement and it's a it's a byproduct of that. Um, wh- what what tell me about that? I don't I don't really know what they would do. So give me a little background. So he I actually after listening to that episode when it went live, which I just have to say is maybe one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Not just because I'm on your show at this moment, but really just <laughs> went in depth. I loved it. Uh, it inspired me to look a little bit more into that. Uh, because I had a few ideas, but I wasn't really sure. Um, we've all, you know, or a lot of people are starting to hear at this point, especially when I go out and speak to people, you know, people have heard cannabis might have 200 terpenes and that there's, you know, 30 or 40,000 in nature. And so it's a very diverse class of chemicals. So to say that something is a terpene doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not, it's not a small class of chemicals. You're not going to necessarily find the same terpenes in cannabis that people are going to be getting from these industrial sources, petroleum. So when I looked into it, what I was able to find is um, people are, are distilling – and industry has – not really people, but industry has been distilling petroleum for things like mineral spirits, kerosene, um, naphtha. And they, they – as far as being a, a hydrocarbon molecule, they're very similar. So um, – I think, uh, from my best guess, without having reached out to Dr. Rousseau to, to confirm uh, based on what he was saying, uh, I think that we can assume that any carbon-based organic uh, substance that is um, you know, made of isoprene, which is the, the building block of terpenes, uh, can be considered a terpene. So I think it's a, just such a wide, diverse class of chemicals that, yes, in fact, many of them can be derived from all sorts of organic materials. And you know, a lot of times we don't really think of uh, mineral spirits or kerosene, gasoline, you know, it seems so chemical in nature. It doesn't really seem like it's an organic product, but it really is, you know, that it's derived from crude oil and, and through distillation processes cleaned up. Um, so that is, uh, kind of my best guess at this point as to without having, being able to speak with him directly. Right on. That makes sense. And so, um, it's not that we're getting, you know, delimining from citrus fruit and also from petroleum. It's a specific set of uncommon terpenes that we would get from petroleum production. I believe, and maybe, you know, and maybe, uh, I, I would even say those might be some of the most prevalent terpenes on the planet just because of how much oil and how much crude oil is actually distilled and then uh, you know, the number of uses for kerosene and naphtha and other kind of solvents of that nature. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the ones that we're all 
in at least in this community, uh, quite interested in. From my knowledge so far, I don't think you really need to be concerned that it came out of gasoline or or crude oil producing gasoline uh, for your like your alpha pinene or your myrcene or linalool, you know. Right on. Cool. Well, then that makes a good point. So even though there are truly trashy terpenes, they're not really the ones that we work with in our sphere. And so so let's focus on ours. So let's talk about the grades of terpenes, because, you know, one thing I have certainly um, read people fighting about quality of terpenes, you know, on Facebook and different forums. And and we all know how ugly and inaccurate a lot of those debates are. So so let's go through, you know, a couple uh, different standards that can be used to grade a terpene. So um, I know a lot of folks who are selling terpenes, they they really push that they are orga- organic and food grade. What does that mean to me as um, you know, as as a purchaser, as a consumer of terpenes? Good question. Uh, as far as food grade goes, uh, that really just means that the Food and Drug Administration has placed this substance on the approved food additives list. So. Um, you know, our company really focuses on only selling terpenes that are found within cannabis. Um, and it just so happens that we haven't ran into a terpene that was found in cannabis that also was not found on the Food and Drug Administration's list of approved sources. So, uh, in that case, you know, all of the terpenes that we're working with are food grade, GRAS. Uh, a lot, some people might not know, GRAS stands for generally recognized as safe. Uh, that that means for human consumption. It doesn't mean that it's you know it's free range and you can just bathe in the stuff. It just means that under the right circumstances, uh, with proper product formulation, that this can be used in a cosmetic product or a nutraceutical product or a, a food product. Right on. That makes sense. And so then the organic part that probably refers to whatever your source plant material was raised without pesticides. Uh, I, so it, it definitely does if it's got like a third party certification on it for, for being organic. Um, but, uh, I, I actually have the statement pulled up here. It's, it's actually, it's an FDA, FDA statement. And basically terpenes are by definition an organic molecule. They contain carbon. They, they don't, they don't exist outside of being organic. Um, so the FDA, FDA actually allows all terpenes that are um, not synthetically derived to be listed as an organic substance uh, because in isolation, uh, they are, again, it's a carbon-containing molecule. It is organic. I see. Um, that, that's like those of us who are nerds for organic food. We would call that little o organic, meaning, exactly. yeah, it's, it's about it being a natural source, not necessarily whether or not it uses pesticides. Right, which, which kind of brings me uh, – to the the point that I usually bring along bring around with that, which is that uh, what's most important I think with terpenes is looking at um, you know what else is in the solution. It's very difficult, almost impossible to get a, a 100% terpene solution or even a 99.9 in most of them. It's just very difficult to do, and so you need to really look at what is in that other percentage, and that's that really it becomes what's important. Um, you know, it, a lot of the terpenes are. Uh, very similar um, by chemical nature. They have almost the exact molecular weight of one another. Uh, under the right circumstances within the plant and outside of the plant, they can actually um, turn from one to another. So it's very easy for limonene, alpha pinene, and myrcene, for instance, to kind of phase shift between each other given their um, their environment. Uh, 
So you might have a bottle of 99.9% limonene. It doesn't mean that it's contaminated with something. It really might mean that that final fraction in there was some myrcene and alpha pinene that just could not be separated. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I like to, to always bring it back around to is it's with, as far as these terpenes go, a terpene is organic, but you know, the package that it comes in and the other substances in the solution is what we really need to look at. Right on. That makes sense. So, so in, in, in this industry, do we really care whether or not, um, the original plant was grown GMO or not? Is that, is that something that we want to be aware of when we're making purchases? I, you know, I think, um, you have such a diverse crowd of people that are consuming. I think it's important to make make sure that people are aware um, beforehand that it came from, you know, whatever they're consuming came from non-GMO. Myself, personally, I, I come from the camp that I, I think that we should investigate GMO. I don't think that it's something to be shunned, but I also think that everyone should be uh, notified of what they're consuming and people should have the ability to opt out if they're not interested. Uh, and I think that, you know, if that's, that applies to food and I think it applies to cannabis as well. Right on. That's a good point. So <clears throat> that brings us up to what is probably the most discussed and possibly controversial part of what is and is not a terpene because, you know, terpenes got really hot and interesting, um, uh, in, in, in being able to extract cannabis profiles, right? You know, the first time I saw this being done was, um, at the Emerald Cup in, let's see, that would have been 2015 Emerald Cup. Um, uh, Tony Verzura from, uh, United Cannabis had like all these people around him and he was taking what, you know, you know, folks were bringing him up what was otherwise like mediocre slabs of shatter and, and he was, uh, taking, um, you know, cannabis profile terpenes and like painting the, the dab oil. And then the folks would go and dab it. And they're like, Oh, this is the best gorilla glue I've ever had. So they were, they were adding terpenes after the fact and people were going bananas. It was, it was, it was quite impressive to see everyone's excitement about taking mediocre cannabis product and supercharging it with, um, with a terpene profile. So, so, you know, after I got into that, I realized how controversial it was about whether or not, um, you know, different cannabis companies were either a taking actual cannabis flowers and distilling from that to get the actual terpenes that was in a batch of flour or B, um, doing research to find out what terpenes were in, say for, say, for example, Gorilla Glue, and then hand blending food grade terpenes um, to, um, to emulate what the terpene profile would have been if you would have taking taking them directly out of the flower and man people will fight all day long on social media about that so so why don't you break it down for us you know uh, the differences between those two approaches absolutely uh, I think I first would just start by saying my same opinion about the the GMO substance kind of applies to this as well um, I think that uh, you know isolated terpenes we, we don't have the entire catalog of 200 available to us at this point. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. Uh, some of them are incredibly difficult to have in isolation and that's because they might have a, uh, they might have a 
boiling point around room temperature or 80 degrees or so, which is why when you're in a hot grow room, it really just smells something special and you're never really going to be able to recreate that or fully capture it with a, with a final product. You know, live resins and other extractions are doing a pretty good job of capturing as much terpene as possible. But at the end of the day, um, there are some of these uh, compounds that are not uh, easily uh, isolated. And so what that leads to is the terpenes that we actually have at our disposal to add back are primarily the heaviest, most stable molecules, the mono and sesquiterpenes. So if you, you know, if you were imagining, you know, you've, you've, let's say you, you started with a Gorilla Glue 4, just to follow your example, uh, and you took that into the testing lab that we prefer to use this time, SC Labs, and they gave you the terpene analysis back, which at this point they count for 34 of them, you know, you would have it, that that's going to tell you the natural ratio that the terpenes that they're able to test for are found in in that plant. And then there's one other special number on that page, and it's the total content by volume. So you're going to see all these different ratios, um, you know, and it's 34 of them. You'll see alpha pinene at 3% and beta pinene at 2%, you know, so it's going to be listed out in either percentages or by milligrams per gram. And then at the bottom, it's going to say, but the total content of that entire gram was 4% or 7% or, you know, something along those lines. It's going to vary depending on if it was a flower sample and if it was grown indoor or outdoor or if it was a concentrate and how it was extracted. So what's really important to look at is, you know, if you're looking to emulate cannabis naturally, you're going to want to only add back those mono and sesquiterpenes. That's, let's just to keep it easy, say those 34 terpenes, you're going to want to look at what what does the the plant naturally produce at its best case scenario fresh off the plant before any sort of degradation has happened or mishandling um, and then try to emulate that so not just slopping it on and, and you know and assuming that more is going to be better but really kind of precisely uh, maybe even take you know measuring measuring the like let's again we'll follow your example so we'll, we'll say a slab of concentrate Running that, running a terpene test on that, and seeing where it is uh, right now, currently, as like kind of a blank canvas without any additives to it, and then uh, let's say you get a A plus top shelf concentrate that you really admire um, from another source. Uh, you know, somebody else did some live resin, and you have some standard BHO. Uh, you could look at the terpene content of that live resin and compare it to the terpene content of your BHO. And you could spike all of the individual mono and sesquiterpenes to make it uh, more like the the A plus medicine. But um, so I think you know that's best case scenario. What you saw Tony doing was um, because he because you know the the product he was working with is supposedly cannabis derived terpenes. Um, it's taking those natural ratios in the proper um, dilution. And adding it back, so it, you know, nature already did all the heavy lifting with that. Um, I really am a fan of those sorts of products. I think that the you know the only reason that I'm in the business that I am right now is because they're very cost prohibitive. Um, they're about you know 15 to 20 times more um, by the time that you get to the consumer level of somebody buying a, a milliliter next to a milliliter um, uh, cannabis drive versus isolated uh, plant drive terpenes, and uh, they're also a little bit less shelf stable. Uh, and in, a little bit more inconsistent as well. You know, somebody has to continue to grow that crop of cannabis under the same conditions to produce the same um, 
to produce the same flour to then be distilled under the you know it's just it's a lot of new kind of tech uh coming into play and people haven't been isolating terpenes for a long time and it's a little bit of a not as as much available as far as like source material yeah you, you know you can only grow so many plants most places in this world and then you have to decide what you're going to do with those and uh i'm just not convinced personally that distilling uh, cannabis drive terpenes out of that is maybe the necessarily the best use for uh, really good cannabis. Um, so I think kind of as a compare to get back to like comparing apples to apples, you know, I think limonene from an orange and limonene from cannabis, uh, they're chemically identical. And this is true of all terpenes. Um, the other ones that I think people might be familiar with are linalool and la- uh, from lavender and myrcene from hops. Um, but, uh, what I think ultimately it comes down to, uh, is the importance of purity and in relation to contaminants. You know, if you have five milliliters of limonene, uh, you want that to be as pure, as close to as possible, uh, as to pure limonene. Um, and if you're dealing with like a, um, a distillation, like what we work in, um, you know, achieving those super high percentage purities, uh, is one thing, you know, you want to be about, we, we shoot to have everything above 96%. Um, but, uh, then the other side of that coin is making sure that the other 4% that's re- re- remaining is not pesticide solvents or other degraded, uh, organic material. One thing that a lot of people might not, uh, be familiar to hearing is that, you know, things, chemicals like acetone or, um, a couple of other, uh, like n- known solvents are actually can be produced by the degradation of plant material of, of other natural organic material as it as uv and time kind of play their course so um i think that was a little bit of a roundabout so i apologize but uh really i think as far as source comes um and maybe you could actually return to the question yeah right on so so bringing it back to the the cannabis strain profiles part and you you answered my question really well explaining the difference between the cannabis derived and the um the 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 you know plant food derived but you know what it occurred to me is that when you described how cannabis derived is going to you know be 15 to 20% more ex- not 20 15 to 20 times more expensive what that made me think of, you know, I've, I've seen a handful of terpene companies and I, and I know the prices they charge. You know, a lot of these folks that kind of write their copy to suggest that they're derived, their profiles are, are, are extracted from cannabis, they just can't be doing it for the price that they're selling it at. And it sounds to me like, you know, some companies are probably, you know, being a little creative with their copywriting. Um, you know, just because it's so much cooler, you know, people generally think it's cooler to take your terpenes directly from the flower, but that's so cost prohibitive that maybe they're writing their copy to to kind of suggest that in an abstract way. But when when push comes to shove, they're actually pulling terpenes from from uh, food plants and then just doing their absolute best to make a blend that matches the terpene profile that they got out of the test. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, um, I guess to start off to say, I, I we really made it our, uh, we took a position early on, um, because everything that you just said was, uh, our thoughts that I've had and that our company has had, but, uh, we took a position early on to not try to police the industry. Um, just because, you know, there's so much to focus on within the organization that what people are doing on the outside, um, you know, we're, you know, I just don't have a crystal ball. So, um, I, what I will say is that I think, 
uh, it's not it I think part of what you said with people uh, the copy I think people are getting pretty creative with their copy um, at least in my experience I've, I've bought from several of the companies that suggest that it's cannabis derived and um, what it really appears to me is is a something along the lines of like a cold trapped cannabis terpene from a vacuum oven or maybe even a you know a distilled batch combined with isolated terpenes and this isn't a new practice by any means you know the the essential oil and perfume industry um, since I think probably its inception or very shortly thereafter uh, has been plagued with companies that will take lesser uh, at lesser oils and cut more expensive oils to make them stretch further um, so yeah I mean it's 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 a practice that in one way or another is happening um, we just like I said we never w- really wanted to police the industry and we've never been embarrassed that we sell uh, plant-derived terpenes so we've just always made it blatantly obvious that these are from other sources and tried to give people the tools to decide if uh, working with us is uh, is within their um, you know with kind of within their guiding principles for what their business is trying to achieve. Right on. That makes a lot of sense. You know, um, no reason for you to police the industry. You know, one of the things about having both a, uh, a free and open market and also the internet, if somebody is selling schlock, it, the word's going to get around and they're going to have to deal with that better to focus on your own startup company and your own science and, and go from that. So, you know, we're, we're kind of late for our first break. So we're going to get to that. But anybody who's been listening to the first set here and they're like, man, they're, they're kind of leaning on the, on the manufacturing and science part a little heavy, uh, do not fear. Uh, set two is going to be all about um, how to use terpenes in everyday life. So please stay for that. Um, you are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm Shango Los, and my guest today is Ben Cassidy, co-founder of True Terpenes. For anyone who is paying attention to cannabis medicine, it has become incredibly apparent that full extract cannabis oil, known to some as Rick Simpson oil, is the cornerstone of healing humans with medical marijuana. If you own a medical dispensary or retail store, you know that your customers are asking for it every single day. And if you have been working with patients and seeking out quality full extract oil in the Pacific Northwest, you know the provider Deep Green. Kat Jeter and her team at Deep Green have been making full extract cannabis oil and setting the standards for quality and exact dosing for years in Washington State. The Deep Green brand is known by patients and cannabis media as a premium quality provider for sick children, cancer patients, and others in need. At a time when there are no national standards for cannabis oil, ensuring a product is whole plant, quality assured, and lab tested is often a matter of knowing your source is reputable. Trust in a quality brand is essential when choosing a cannabis medicine that is going to be used concentrated and in volume by any patient, and especially those with weakened immune systems. Deep Green is looking for national brand partners to expand the availability of their legacy top-shelf cannabis oil to emerging medical and licensed states. Partners benefit from the Deep Green brand recognition and credibility, as well as ongoing customer and marketing support. Not only that, but Deep Green knows how to employ the 280E tax rule so you can deduct it all from your taxes. Working with Deep Green can provide the trust and authenticity too often pushed aside in favor of lifestyle products. Your customers can assure themselves that regardless of the state in which it is made, brand licensees adhere to the same strict standards that patients everywhere have come to expect from Deep Green. Deep Green licensing includes startup and capital planning, as well as operational and manufacturing instruction, as you'd expect. 
For more information on how your company, co-op, or medical dispensary can benefit from partnering with Deep Green to provide full extract cannabis oil to patients, go to shapingfire.com forward slash deep green to connect with Kat Jeter and her team. That's shapingfire.com forward slash deep green. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shangolos, and our guest this week is Ben Cassidy, co-founder of True Terpenes. So in the first set, we were talking all about how isolated terpenes are extracted or manufactured and the differences between uh, terpenes that come from, from raw cannabis versus come from plant sources. Well, that's really interesting for people who are nerdy about the science part, but I'm sure there's people who are listening who are like, all right, I got it. I know what terpenes are now. How do I use them in my everyday life? And, you know, I'm going to start with the example that is actually how I met you, Ben, and what really impacted me and how I knew I wanted to have you on the show. Um, this past year, uh, in December, I was down at Emerald Cup, and Ben was part of a group of cannabis owners, and I, and we all rented this this wine villa so we could all stay together. And it was really great, right, because all these uh, cannabis business owners were all learning from each other. And at one point, Ben went around the room, and he gave everybody just a little bit of uh, beta-caryophylline in their hands and encouraged them to you know, cup their hands and inhale deeply. And I had never done that before, and beta-caryophylline just smelled so good, and it made me feel so calm. And it made me realize that even though up to this point, all of my care about terpenes was really what was in the flower. I never really thought about using the terpenes independently from cannabis for quality of life. And so, you know, since that time, I've, I've gotten an, um, you know, an ultrasonic terpene diffuser and, uh, and you know, uh, you showed me how to dab it. So, so let's go through some of those ways that people can use terpenes at home without actually uh, burning or vaping some marijuana. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the just like you were saying, the the first and I think maybe easiest is probably uh, is is through the process of what you've called hand huffing. Um, I want to just start, first start by saying what I actually had everybody try uh, at the Emerald Cup was a uh, it was beta caryophylline, but I had mixed it one to one with uh, with just some extra virgin olive oil, mm. and I think that that's just an important note to start off with. Uh, for anybody at home that might want to try this, just because we want to make sure, just like uh, any other essential oil, that we're going to, to put it with a carrier oil. Um, unless you're, you know, a, an aromatherapist or an expert that's been using these for a really long time, I think you can always assume that you should probably cut them with something because they are uh, very just kind of powerful chemicals, each and every one of them. Many of them act as solvents uh, in high purities. So just want to start with that and say, make sure that you're being safe and practicing, uh, you know, good aromatherapy practices. So with hand huffing, um, the reason I had, I really wanted everybody to apply the beta-caryophylline to their hands was kind of twofold. Uh, it is one of the most relaxing and calming, you know, it's, a, it's our, our particular mix is derived from a combination of black pepper and clove and, you know, it very much resembles both of those plants. It's it's uh, spicy and earthy. And so just just when you come into contact with it, it's immediately everything that I think that you've just described. It's relaxing and it's it's really, you know, it's in my opinion, it's, you know, you, people have heard chew on black peppercorns if you're, you know, if you're too high or something of those nature. And uh, I think that uh, beta-caryophylline is, is so interesting for that purpose because it's not, 
overly stimulating. It's not in your face too strong, and it's it's one of the more benign terpenes. And by that I mean that um, you can be around a lot of it before you start to kind of get to an intoxicated level. Whereas there's some terpenes like, let's say, geraniol, which is the main terpene in roses and geraniums, which uh, really can start to have an effect on you very quickly. So I, I like to start with beta-caryophylline. It helps people get their hands terpy. Um, and, uh, and then we move from there. The, the second reason why, so it's, it's very, it's just a, it's a good learning tool and nobody's going to get hurt from it in most cases. The other reason being is it's a topical anesthetic. Uh, and it works very quickly. And so that's, that's the other reason why I really like to introduce it to people is because, you know, everybody at one time or another in their life or most people have had the opportunity, you know, to have a, a sore muscle or something along the lines where they rubbed a cream on and were expecting some sort of relief. And, you know, there's obviously varying, uh, degrees of success with those. Uh, some of those like icy hot and like Vicks vapor rub, for instance, actually are, um, containing terpenes. But so with the hand huffing, I just want to always encourage people to make sure you're taking, you're using an olive oil or a coconut oil, sweet almond oil. Uh, you can get on Google and look around for, uh, aromatherapy carriers and, and you'll find a list of 30. But, uh, you know, the main ones that I really like to do that with, uh, are the primary ones from cannabis. And I think that it's just because, um, I'm so familiar with them and I kind of know what to expect when working with them. So should we go down that road or would you like to go into other methods? Of yeah, let's go into other methods. Uh, so okay. you recommended to me an ultrasonic diffuser, which I picked up and I love. Um, why don't you go ahead and explain that and, and why it's making my room smell so good right now? Yeah, that's actually probably the way that I consume the most terpenes and everybody within our company um, is the ultrasonic diffuser, which basically is just using a small amount of water and a, uh, and a vibrating uh, uh, sound wave to nano to make the particles of the uh, of the essential oil and water into nanoparticles so that they can be puffed up into the air and naturally breathed in in lower concentrations so whereas we're getting a direct inhalation of the of the extract when it's in our hands uh, we're kind of filling the room ambiently with terpenes when we use an ultrasonic diffuser um, and that's uh, like I said I, th I feel like it is a little bit more uh, natural uh, because we're getting kind of a diluted it's com combined with oxygen and we're breathing it over a period of time. Um, I personally uh, start my day every single day uh, in my office. I close the door and I kick it on and I put some limonene and citrol in it, uh, both citrus-derived terpenes. Um, and that really just seems to be kind of like Ethan had uh, alluded to in his episode, uh, very sunny and bright um, and alertive. And so that's that's kind of the way that I'll start my day if I'm sick um, or thinking that I'm getting sick. Uh, I use alpha-pinene. Uh, alpha-pinene acts as a bronchial dilator, and uh, anybody that's had interaction with it, I think, will attestify that uh, that it's kind of opens the lungs and makes it just much easier to breathe. And that's that's what you had mentioned earlier, Shango. And um, you know, it, it's just it's it's very uh, it's it's low impact. It's it, it's certainly I think therapeutically active, um, but it's it's not gonna it's not going to give you any sort of chance to, you know, inhale something that's too potent or too strong and it's not going to scent your hands or, you know, anything like that. It's just very easy to set in the corner of the room and let it run um, and just 
one of my favorite reactions to kind of take note of is uh, the before and after. Somebody that's never used one before and, you know, a lot of people, you know, have differing, differing opinions on how aromatherapy works and what it is. But, uh, to, you know, I just like to let it speak for itself. So to have somebody sit down in a room and start a conversation and let the, the diffuser run for a few minutes and then to watch the face change as they realize that they feel different than before, you know, four or five minutes before. Uh, that I just I just really love the aromatherapy diffuser, and that's what I would uh, generally recommend to anybody that's starting to get into terpenes and having interest in them, uh, just because it's it's low impact, it's pretty cost effective. Terpenes will last a long time in it, and um, it it really gives you the ability to start to investigate them, uh, and then once you start to learn more about other ways of preparing and consuming them, then uh, you can kind of move on to that. Right on. That makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the things that I found really easy too is, you know, while there were really nice ones that were 200 bucks, I got mine for 50 bucks on Amazon. And, you know, all I did was uh, search ultrasonic diffuser. And then there were, you know, all these different ones that, that I could choose from. And yeah, you know, there are cooler ones that I can upgrade to, but I'm, I'm up and going for 50 bucks. And, uh, and, and not only that, but um, I like that it's a way to share terpenes with other folks too. You know, I'll have yeah. people over for, you know, a dinner party or a little get together or whatever, and um, it'll fill the room. And and people always comment on the smells, and that always gets me talking about terpenes, and then you know turns into a little education thing sometimes, which I obviously am into. So before we go to the commercial, let's. Um, Let's talk about uh, uh, dabbing terpenes by themselves. Um, you gave me a really great experience back then when we were down there in California, and I'd like you to describe it for other folks. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, for, for sake of um, everybody else uh, in our organization who isn't a huge fan of me always showing that off, but I, I just think <laughs> you know, uh, running into people like yourself who are so passionate about it and, and willing to, to you know, experience it, um, we had actually inhaled a very small amount of alpha pinene um, for the effect of opening our lungs. And I just want to say that the the company that I'm with does not really endorse that practice. Uh, our, our, we really, really uh, suggest that people use terpenes for topical and oral administration at this time. Um, but uh, if, but if since I want to talk about it. <laughs> you want to talk about it, exactly. Um, basically what we had done is we had taken a um, like a vape battery mod is what they're called uh the one that i had particularly went from 5 to 40 watts and we put a ceramic nail on it that had a kind of like a to go water pipe attached to it um and so we basically had taken uh, just the, about a third of a drop which uh i i usually measure out with a toothpick or something of that nature um, we had dipped down into the alpha pinene, taken the drop and put it on the nail. And I think that this is really important too, whereas pe when people are dabbing cannabis concentrates, they generally already have the nail at the temperature that they'd like it to be at, which then they go in and they inhale it and it all vaporizes. But I haven't really found um, the right temperature for that. And so what's worked really well for me is starting with a cold nail, adding the terpene, and then allowing it to come up to temperature with the nail and then it vaporizes at exactly the right point as soon as it, as soon as it's hit the temperature where it does vaporize um and it seems like it's uh, a much less violent reaction whereas um as an experiment again not a suggestion but as an experiment if you wanted to just drop 
like a, a drop of terpene on a 600 degree nail or something, you would see it dance around and then just poof off. And I think that that rapid expansion would happen and that's what would lead to somebody having a really poor experience. So um, most terpenes and not all terpenes can be just inhaled directly. I, I really wouldn't suggest um, just going through a whole catalog of them. Um, but uh, in, in the case of what we did, like I said, it was just a very small amount of alpha pinene and you know, the physical uh, response is so dramatic afterwards. Just the, uh, you know, you, you can definitely feel the ease uh, of taking oxygen into your lungs. And uh, I think personally kind of a mental clarity or alertness. It's, it's like, uh, you know, not necessarily the same thing as, you know, after your first dab of the day. It's, it's a little bit still even more clear than that. It's a little bit lighter. And so very, very positive. I really hope to develop a product around um, alpha pinene if we're able to, you know, go through the right channels as far as uh, FDA approval, basically, um, for that sort of thing. Because just because something is gross rated or food safe doesn't mean that you can put it into uh, a product and inhale it. Right on. That makes sense. And, uh, you know, it's funny when you mentioned putting the, uh, putting the terp right on a hot email or something and having a dance around. While I definitely don't want to hit that because of potential terpene toxicity, I do want to see that. <laughs> so I might, I might do that at home just as a visual experiment and not actually hit it. And, you know, um, you know, people are like, uh, you know, how, how can I do this on the go? You know, there's, there are these new, uh, you know, portable dab rigs that are based on batteries. Uh, and those seem to go really well. Actually, the one I've got from uh, Vuber Technologies, I just, I put a little bit of the terpene there on the nail and then I just let it start coming up to temp. And then as it comes up to temp, I can hit it. And man, you know, when you gave me the pinene uh, to try for the first time, I was, you know, well, I, I have asthma, right? And so the idea that my, 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 my lungs opened up and I could breathe and I felt, um, you know, the power that comes from being in a forest, right? You know, um, Ethan and I were talking about that, you know, take going out into the forest and taking a forest bath because it makes you feel, you know, it makes you feel like you want to throw your shoulders back and put your chin up and you are full of power. And it's amazing just like taking a little bit of pining will do that to you. And um and and so you know slowly I've worked my way through all the all the terpenes I have and you know you know there's a big difference between doing that with pinene or myrcene or linalool they really do each have their own their own caricature or character but um, yeah, the, the thing that I would I would say if somebody really was was interested in you know kind of figuring out which ones are of greater interest for that is look at a look at a terpene analysis and just look at the ratios that they're found naturally in the plant, you know, if, you know, alpha pinene is found in pretty high levels, myrcene is found in pretty high levels, but, um, other terpenes, like, again, I'll bring up geraniol or maybe linalool, much smaller quantities. They're, you know, they're for the amount that's in there, they're very potent, but, um, just kind of using, uh, that logic as a, as a rule of thumb for how much you might want to consume of any one of them is, has led me pretty well. All right. Fantastic. So let's go and take another short break. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Ben Cassidy, co-founder of True Terpenes. Businesses everywhere are constantly striving to reach out to people through advertising. We all know, though, that trying to reach a cannabis audience with a quality message is pretty difficult. That's why many people choose to advertise on the Shaping Fire podcast. Advertising on this show allows us time to talk about your product, service, or brand in a way that really lets people know what sets your company apart from others. Bold people who own companies know that getting into a relationship with their customers is essential. That is what we offer. 
We will explain your service or product and what sets it apart as desirable and help our audience get in contact with you. It's pretty simple, really. Advertising does not have to be all whiz-bang, smoke, and mirrors. Nowadays, I find that people prefer just to be spoken to calmly, accurately, and with good intentions. If you want to make your own commercial spot, you can do that too. Because the podcast is young, but growing at an exceptionally fast rate, if you become an advertiser on the Shaping Fire podcast now, you are going to pay a fraction of the cost we'll be asking for in just a few months. And yet everyone listening both now and to the back catalog of interviews later will hear about your company again and again for years. It's a great deal for you. Pay a small amount now because the show is new, but take advantage of the huge listening audience we will have forever. Do yourself a solid and contact us today for rates on podcast and newsletter advertising. Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out more. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and I am your host, Shango Los. And our guest this week is Ben Cassidy, co-founder of True Terpenes. So, you know, Ben, it's very common now for uh, cannabis product developers to spike their products with terpenes. You know, they'll go ahead and process it however they're going to, but if they want it to be relaxing, maybe they'll add some linalool or myrcene, or if they want it to pick you up, they'll add some, you know, commonly known as, uh, you know, sativa terpenes like, like citrine or something like that. And, um, you know, I know you have got a lot to say about that. Um, but why don't we? Why don't you synthesize that a little bit down, and 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 just give us your thoughts for product developers, um, you know, on, on on terp stability and degradation and homogenization and, and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, just like I had said before, I think spiking with terpenes um, is is an acceptable practice. I just think there also should be uh, you should disclose that you've done it. Um, that's what we encourage all of our clients to do. We encourage, we give them artwork, uh, from our company that they, we encourage them to co-brand with so that if they have questions that those questions can be directed to us so that we can properly answer them. Um, so I, I really think, um, if you're getting into it, uh, it's just all about making sure that people know what they're consuming. Nobody wants to be surprised, um, you know, later on. So that's one of the most important things. Uh, I think the ability to influence a product, um, especially like uh, I think I've had the greatest success with like uh, with tinctures and topicals. Um, we have a, an incredible blend that we put into uh, and in, in call an indica blend tincture in the Oregon market. Same thing. We have sativa. They've been great and we wouldn't really be able to do it without the control of isolated terpenes because um, it's, it's a standardized recipe from you know, from batch to batch to batch, everything comes out identical. So I think that that's a definite pro if you're if you're working with products, uh, you know, distillates or isolates, isolated CBD or, or you know, distilled THC are, are two very um, kind of more common uh, cannabinoids that are that are definitely becoming commercially viable for people to use in making products. Combining those with terpenes so that you can control the outcome of the product um, is is really uh, rewarding and can be lucrative. So, uh, what I'll say about the stability is that uh, isolated terpenes. Uh, I'm told by several of the people that we've consulted with um, from you know PhD chemistry world uh, are much more stable because there's less chemistry. Uh, basically uh, able to happen within within the bottle of, of, of terpenes. Let's just say you had a cannabis-derived profile of terpenes from, you know, from an OG Kush or something like that. You might have 70 terpenes in there that are slowly degrading with, with UV and with time and with, you know, 
uh, if they're not, you know, kept at room temperature versus uh, under uh, some sort of colder conditions. Uh, so they definitely have the opportunity to degrade where when you have this isolated chemical, you can more readily prepare for how it's going to degrade. Um, and, you know, you can put a shelf life on it. But with these unknown solutions that are different from batch to batch, if you if you're going with um, with a complex profile, um, it's a little bit harder to do. So isolated terpenes, uh, I'm told and in, in you know, from our experience are much more stable, uh, but all organic things degrade. So it's just something to take uh, into consideration. As far as uh, homogenization, um, you know, it, they, terpenes are, um, are nonpolar. So they need to make, we need to make sure that they are mixed into the right uh, carriers. Uh, just about any oil or fat-based carrier is going to work great. Uh, the easiest, I think, healthiest um, that I'm aware of personally is MCT. MCT works really great with terpenes. For somebody that's first getting into it right now, I think uh, making like a, a home-based MCT tincture with or without cannabinoids is a really good way to start experiencing these um, in a relatively safe manner as long as you're uh, doing your research on um, concentrations. Um, and uh, what, I, what I really encourage people to do when they're starting to get into product development with terpenes is uh, walk before you crawl. You know, there, there's so many of them. Uh, you know, they say up to 200. Uh, at this time, we offer 31 of them. Um, there, and it's about, and we're going to expand that even further. But uh, taking on so many different terpenes, it really just gives you you know, 31 more, if you bought our whole set, you'd have 31 more variables. So uh, I really encourage people to get used to kind of the core eight, the, the terpenes that are high, found in the highest quantities and kind of define unique um, branches of the cannabis family tree. Uh, and just to briefly go through those, that's uh, alpha-pinene, uh, linalool, beta-caryophylline, eucalyptol, limonene, myrcene, terpinoline, and geraniol. Um, they all can be tied to, uh, common essential oils as well that most people are familiar with. And, uh, I really encourage people to look into aromatherapy and, and find the ways that the, the plants that contain these terpenes, the way that their essential oils are used naturally, and then kind of start to mimic those. You'll find some that are more prevalent in topical applications and others that are used, uh, and consumed orally or some that are never consumed, but, uh, are used ambiently and inhaled through the air. So I, I just really, you know, some, for somebody getting into this, it's not, um, you know, like, like another, it's not a, just a new form of cannabis extract where you can throw it on the nail and inhale it. And you're just comparing the difference between a CO2 oil and a BHO or something. These are, are definitely, um, highly, highly potent therapeutic compounds. So I just, I, you know, I always invite people to do their homework, um, you know, definitely pay for a cons consultation with, with a company that works with these regularly or with an organic chemist, um, to just get it, get your, get your, uh, bearings down because, um, you know, we, for as much as everybody wants them to be therapeutic, you know, with that, the other side of the coin is that they can, you know, they can have dramatic effects, um, that you may or may not be 
so so satisfied with if used improperly. So right on, well said. You know, one of the things that you know, I've got a lot of respect for product developers. Um, I've dabbled in it myself, uh, mostly enough to realize how how challenging it is. It's one thing to to put something together that works right then and there, but as soon as you add, you know, degradation, homogenization, shelf stability, and uh, and and some kind of product liability if if the wrong kind of person gets um, what you've made, I realize what a craft product development is, and I would and you know adding you know spiking with terpenes to it, it adds a whole nother level to of, of you know artisan to the craft because I would say that people who who are are, are adding uh, terpenes to their products. The ones who are doing it really well aren't just spiking the hell out of one. They're actually crafting, you know, several of them together for a desired effect. And, and, and that is challenging just totally up and beyond what the rest of the, the soda or the edible or the capsule is. It's like a whole nother level of expertise. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the other thing with, with these being uh, highly volatile, meaning, you know, they, they evaporate easily, being, being very volatile scent molecules they're also um have a very strong uh flavor on the palate so uh you know in, in bringing them into a product it's not necessarily just as easy as you know taking your current existing recipe and adding some terpenes to it you know you, the the entire recipe kind of needs to be analyzed to make sure not only that you're not going to ruin the flavor or uh grossly manipulate the flavor but um that it's not going to, like you said, kind of like the shelf stability side of things, like three months down the road that it's not going to separate or that, um, you know, some sort of discoloration or something along those lines happens. So it really is something to kind of uh, integrate into a product. And then, um, you know, we usually recommend that people give it like an eight to 12 week shelf stability test. There are uh, laboratories that you can work with within the within the food and cosmetic industries that can do some simulated testing to kind of uh, help you get some more rapid feedback. They can they can do about a week's worth of microbial testing and then uh, build upon that a model uh, that can kind of give you an idea. But ultimately, it's again it's it's kind of just like with any other new input, you're going to need to really put in your own R and D. We get a lot of people that'll call us and really want the you know the silver bullet, and so far I haven't found it. Right on. You got to build the silver billet at home. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. We only got through about half of my questions. I'm going to have to have you back another time, but thanks for making the time to be here today. Oh, Shango, I really appreciate it. Ben Cassidy is co-founder of True Terpenes. You can find out more at buy-terpenes.com. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at shapingfire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast wherever you download. Your review will help others find the show so they can enjoy it too. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Does your company want to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out how. Thanks for listening to Shaping Fire. I've been your host, Shango Lose. <laughs>